All right, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 45, if you will. Genesis chapter 45. And reading verse 1. And then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Well, after ten weeks, we now come to that moment where Joseph finally reveals his true identity to his brothers. We began ten weeks ago looking at the life of Joseph to encourage ourselves to know that no matter what we experience or go through in life, God is always with us. And knowing that allows us to weather the storms of life much more securely in an insecure world. Today as we come to Revelation, Genesis chapter 45, the reveal of Joseph, we will find within it Five things that will encourage you to know that God is with you throughout the course of your life. We watched and saw how God took Joseph 22 years earlier, giving him two dreams to express to Joseph what God was planning to do in and through the life of Joseph. But then Joseph's life appeared from our perspective to take a turn. His brothers sold him into slavery, but first throwing him into a pit to leave him to die. After being sold into slavery and brought into Egypt, he then found himself in the service of the captain of the guard, Potiphar himself. Potiphar's wife threw herself at Joseph, tried to seduce him, and he resisted. With her pride... Wounded and damaged, she then falsely accused Joseph, which then led him to the prison. From the prison, he spent two full long years there, wondering what had happened. Had God forgotten him? Had God abandoned him? And then only as God could, God takes him from the prison and places him in the palace. As Joseph then interprets the dreams that Pharaoh had of seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, Joseph then instructs Pharaoh to have someone oversee the collection of a percentage of the grain during those seven years of prosperity to prepare for those seven years of poverty. Joseph then was then elevated to the second in command of all of Egypt, only under Pharaoh himself. And the severity of the famine was so great without, within and through the land that from Canaan came his brothers seeking grain. Noticing and seeing his brothers there it troubled his heart. And putting them through a series of what we would see as tests to see if they truly have become repentive 
of what they had done to him so 22 years earlier. And then discovering that they have become repentive. As we come to chapter 45, Joseph now reveals his true identity to his brothers. And as I said just a moment ago, within chapter 45, we will see four things that, I'm sorry, five things that we can count on to assure us that even though we may not see God physically or God be standing next to us physically, we can know that God is with us. So as we proceed through chapter 45, let's discover these things together that we may encourage ourselves and others to know that God is with us. So let us again begin in chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. And then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. I bet they were. I can only imagine the surprise upon their face. The Hebrew word dismayed me means to be shattered, to be blindsided by something you did not anticipate or expect. Well, I think that sums it up perfectly, don't you? Not knowing how Joseph now would react, personally revealing himself to his brothers, I can only imagine that they felt that they were standing on the edge of a razor blade before him. But in verse 4, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. And then he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve your life. Joseph was truly a man of integrity. The display of forgiveness that Joseph examples for us is astonishing. Something that we could all glean from, learn from, inspire to. But the very first thing that we learn, found here in verse 5, is that God has gone before them to preserve their life. You and I can know that God is with us because God goes before us. Throughout the Bible, God gives us the promise that He is with us. As Joseph was with his brothers... So is God with us. Now, initially, the brothers didn't recognize Joseph, of course, to be Joseph. And often as we go through our lives, we misunderstand or 
conclude incorrectly that God is not with us when in actuality He is standing right next to us. He gave us the Holy Spirit that we would not be alone. But often, we miss that reality. Often we conclude that God is far from us. But the theological understanding of omnipresence in and of itself would exclude that, wouldn't it? Because God is everywhere. The first thing that we must know is that regardless of how we feel, or regardless of the circumstances that we are going through, God is with us, even though we don't think He is, or see or believe that He is, He is with us. Each and every occurrence that they stood before Joseph was another opportunity for them to discover His true reality, His true identity, and their true reality. But notice, as we've read up until this point, each and every occurrence, they were gripped by fear, overwhelmed by guilt. They were concerned for their well-being, their family's well-being, and their father's well-being back in Canaan due to the severity of the famine that they found themselves in the midst of. Like us, feelings, fear, circumstances can all blind us to the reality that God is with us. As we look together and realize that He is standing there, as Joseph said in verse 3, I am Joseph, let us not forget the fact that even though we do not see Christ or see God physically, He is with us. The New Testament tells us that one of the most difficult moments in the life of the disciples was the moment they discovered that Jesus was about to leave them. That He was about to ascend to return to His Father's right hand. That His life would be taken from Him. And then on the third day, rise again. So concerned, worried, and anxious were the disciples that Jesus in John 14.1 stated, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The word trouble there is literally a word that is used for an overwhelming sense of anxiety, fear, worry. The disciples had given up their whole lives to follow Jesus Christ because they believed that he was the Messiah. As Jewish men, they believed that Messiah was there to come, to liberate them from the physical oppression of the Roman oppressors to bring Israel back to an existence and a zenith of prosperity there within the world. To rule and to reign from Jerusalem physically. And yet now they are shattered by the idea that Jesus is about to leave. And I would encourage you to read the rest of John 14 when you have a chance. But after the resurrection of Jesus Christ being again dismayed, shattered by the crucifixion itself, they demonstrated that by all returning to their old lives. 
when Jesus did finally meet with them after his resurrection and commissioned them in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Notice what Jesus says here. He, is, he stills their greatest fear. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. But he doesn't stop there. He stills their greatest fear. He reassures them at, their, at the, one of the most vulnerable moments in their life and their Christian walk. He assures them, notice, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The writer of the book of Hebrews went on to say something similar to remind his readers of this fact. When he wrote in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6, he says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, notice with me, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? God knew from the very beginning in the Old Testament when he led his people into the land in which he was giving them. And on the way, he needed to reassure them from the moment they started to the moment they came to the edge of the promised land that God was with them. Deuteronomy 31.6, God states, Be strong and of good courage, and do not fear, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who gives, uh, goes with you. He will not leave you, nor forsake you. And two verses later, in Deuteronomy 31.8, The Lord, He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Do you see a pattern developing here? God wanted to assure His people that He was with them. As God was with them, so is God with you who are believers in Jesus Christ today. And nothing, let me repeat that, nothing is going to change that. Paul made it abundantly clear that there's nothing that will ever separate us from the love of Jesus, Jesus Christ in Romans 8. Regardless of how we feel, regardless of our circumstance, regardless of what we are told, we who are believers in Jesus Christ can be confident that wherever we go, God is with us. And we need to rest in that. And draw from that. In the midst of an insecure world, that will give us the greatest sense of security that one can find within this world. For if God is for me, then who can be against me? In the, English, in the Eric Standard Version, it's, my dad is bigger than your dad. And I can feel pretty confident knowing that dad is standing behind me, right? Right? 
But that's not the only assurance that we have. The second one that is given to us is found not only in verse 3, but in verse 5. Notice, for God, caused, um, for God sent me before you to preserve your life. One of the greatest assurances that I have discovered as a Christian to help me know that God is with me is to realize that God is always one step ahead of me. In this case, He's 22 years ahead of them. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen by the end of today. But God does. God knows what we are in need of. God knows what we are going to face. God knows yesterday, today, and forevermore. He knows every day of our future that is numbered. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And we can be assured of this fact that God is going before us. When I was a kid, my dad loved to... uh, I'm not going to use the word torture, but he loved to torment me. My dad loved going to haunted houses. I hated going to haunted houses. Couldn't stand it. And he would just literally take me into the car, tell me I would love it, tell me to man up and get into the car and go to the haunted house. And then he would put me in front of him as we were going through it. And sure enough, each and every time that happened, by the end of the haunted house, I was always behind him. Letting him experience whatever needed to happen, whatever's going to jump out, let it jump out on him. Now that was before I knew he had a heart condition. I wasn't trying to put him in an early grave. I, did, I love my dad, by the way. He's a great guy. But it's interesting how reassuring it can be to us to know that God is going before us. As we get to verses 7 and 8, let's read up to them. Notice here in verse 6, For these two years of famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a prosperity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Since God knows what's going to happen, Joseph knew very clearly. Now, it's interesting, let us remember, that though Joseph knew the dream of Pharaoh, his brothers did not. Joseph knew that there were going to be seven years of prosperity and then seven years of famine and poverty. Joseph knew that they were only two years into that time of severe famine, and the famine was real severe already at this moment. There were still five years left to go. And even though the brothers didn't have any clue that five years still remained for that famine, God did and communicated that to Joseph. 
and prepared Joseph to provide for his brothers. So when God goes before us, He's preparing the way for us forward. That's why whenever I find myself in a position where I believe I'm in uncharted waters, I have to remind myself that God has brought me here and God's already been here. So He knows exactly what I need at this moment. God going before His people was a confidence that they had from the very beginning. In Deuteronomy 31.8, again, let's look at another portion of that verse. And the Lord, He is the one who goes before you. We know that already. He will be with you, and He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or to be dismayed. It is God that goes before us. So not only do we have the assurance, number one, that God is with us no matter how we feel or the circumstances that we face, but we can also be confident that God is with us, number two, because God goes before us. In Psalm 136, 16, to him who led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. You can't lead from the rear, can you? It is God who goes before us. As Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 52, 12, For you shall not go out with haste, he says to his people, nor by flight. You're not going to go out haphazardly from the city of Jerusalem. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. But notice, once again in John 14, when his disciples' hearts were troubled, as we looked at just a moment ago, in John 14, verses 1, now adding verse 2, notice what he says. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Notice the end. For I go to prepare a place for you. God always goes before us. And therefore we can be confident that if God is going before us, God is with us. But now let's read up to verse 11 to find the next truth to encourage us to remind us that God is with us. Notice in verse 8, So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all of his house and the ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry, meaning do not wait. For you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. Therefore, notice verse 11, I will provide for you lest 
you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. Number three, we can know that God is with us because He provides for us along the way. Number three, we can know that God is with us because He provides for us along the way. When Jesus was teaching the people to pray, He said something very interesting to them that would indicate to each and every one of them that God was with them. Because only God being with them could allow Him to know this. And it's found here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. When He instructs His people on prayer, He says, But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain reputations as the heathens do. For they uh, think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. And notice what he says here in verse 8. For your Father knows the things you have need of. Before you ask Him. So how in the world can God know what we are in need of if God isn't with us? So number three, God will provide for you. This is the confidence that Paul had when he wrote in Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It's amazing, God and His provision for His people. He goes before us. We know He is with us. And He knows what we are in need of before we ever ask Him for it. Throughout my life, I've seen God provide in such unique ways that it could only demonstrate that it was God who was providing. Maybe you've had situations just like that. Throughout my ministry, throughout my marriage, God has told Dina and I through His Word and in our hearts that we can count and trust Him to provide for every one of our needs. And though I may test Him and ask for my wants, and I feel like I get a busy signal when I do, He always assures me and shows me that He'll provide for every one of our needs. One that we tell our friends and family about God's provision is that when Dina and I first got married, we were both working decent jobs. We were well off financially for two young people our age. But my job had been uh, downsized. And God was leading me to start this church. And of course, when we had great insurance and when we had a a, a very blessed income, Dean and I were without children. Maybe that's why we had blessed income, because we didn't have any kids. So then the church started... I was making very little. At first, I wasn't making anything. And then my first salary was $180 a week. And 
then one morning, Dina comes in the middle of a beautiful June morning to tell me that she's expecting our daughter. I responded as any good husband would and told her that it's not in the budget. <laughs> Let's rethink this. We also at that time didn't have health insurance. We couldn't afford it. And so we were like, oh Lord, I, I don't know what we're going to do, but he just assured us to trust him. Now, we, I worried the whole time. Dina was, you know, God's going to provide. Okay, maybe I can cut lawns. Maybe I can, you know, trying to figure it out myself. Well, sure enough, God was so faithful. He provided every penny that we needed. But she went to the doctor for her last visit just before it was about time to give birth. And we owed the doctor $100 more, and we literally had $18 in our checking account at that time. And I said, well, here we go, honey. I know we're nine months into this, but it's cost prohibitive. We just can't go through with it. And so we prayed. Her doctor's appointment was the next day. And... She decided to take her mind off of things and look at our photo album and question why she ever married me in the first place. And as she was flipping through the photo album, there at the back was an unopened wedding card that we had totally forgotten about. And she opened the wedding card, and there within it was a crisp $100 bill. And we'll never forget that. And now the Lord's asked us to trust Him for even more. And you know what? God has provided everything that we have needed. Everything. 25 years later, God has provided everything that we've needed. That provision is always a surety to me that God is with me. But notice what God provided for Joseph's brothers. Not only the material things that would truly be hard to find in a time of poverty and severe famine, but God did something that only God could do, and that was to give Joseph favor in the eyes of Pharaoh, to allow Joseph to be merciful to his family, to protect his people, to provide for his people. Notice with me in verse 12, if you will. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. And then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Now, the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, 
Load your animals and depart and go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded to do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. Also do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all of the land of Egypt is yours. Isn't God amazing? Not only the material possessions needed that Joseph personally could provide, but then giving favor to Joseph in the eyes of Pharaoh, allowed Pharaoh to bless Joseph's family with the land of Goshen, which was one of the richest, most agriculturally uh, accepted area in all of the land of Egypt. This is incredible how God can provide for his people, demonstrating that he is with his people. But notice with me in verse 13. Number four. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. The fourth principle that we can lean on to assure us that God is with us is to remember the testimonies, the wonderful works of God. Joseph is telling his brothers to tell Jacob, his father, of all that God has done. Tell my father uh, what happened from the moment of the pit to the prison to the palace. Here is the opportunity to explain what God has done to provide in this manner for you. I think you and I as Christians need to remember that the God of the Old Testament is still the God that we serve today. And He is the same God who will exist tomorrow. His consistency is not only uh, a reassurance to us that God is with us, but it also is a foundation for our faith in Him. If God did it then for His people, God will do it today for His people. And therefore, I can be confident that God will do it tomorrow for His people. When we read the Old and New Testament, let us remember the consistency of God that is found in verses such as Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Knowing this, that Romans 4.21 tells us, and being fully convinced that what He has promised, that is God promised to us, He is able to perform. And let us understand that every promise given to us, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Meaning, every promise that Scripture gives to those who follow Jesus Christ, no matter who you are, is yes. 
you can appropriate this promise knowing that God has promised it to you because you are found in Christ. And Paul reminded his readers in Romans that everything written in the Old Testament was written for a purpose. For whatever things were written before, that is, before in the Old Testament, were written for our learning. That through the patience and comfort of Scripture we may have hope. The only reason that we can have hope is because we have the faith, the confidence, and the assurance that if God did it then, He'll do it now. If God can do it then and now, He can certainly do it in the future. And therefore, you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, can rest on that confidence, and in that consistency, we can know that God is with us. As we close it out in verse 21... Then the sons of Israel did so as Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh. And he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and food for his father for the journey. And so he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. The last thing I want to share with you from our text this morning, the number five principle is that God knows that it's often fear that inhibit us from realizing that God is with us. If you notice throughout Scripture the number of times that God says to His people, fear not. The word here in Hebrew that He uses in verse 24 when he says, see that you do not become troubled along the way, it could also be rendered in English, see that you are not overwhelmed by fear along the way. And God alludes to this reality when he wrote again in Deuteronomy 31.8, and the Lord, he is one who goes before you, he will be with you, And he will not leave you nor forsake you. And then he says, do not fear nor be dismayed. As Hebrews 13.6 reminds us, the Lord is my helper. The Hebrew writer writes, I will not fear. In Joshua. Joshua is one of my favorite books of the Old Testament. It's one of my, it's a book that contains my life verse. Dean and I, our family's life verse. At the end of the story of Joshua, Joshua asks the people of Israel, Choose this day in whom you shall serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But at the beginning, Joshua didn't seem to be as confident as he was at the end, which is, I think, true for all of us who grow in our faith in Christ. At the beginning, succeeding Moses, well, let's say it this way, Those are some pretty big shoes to fill, wouldn't you say? Because Joshua didn't look like Charleston Heston. 
he looked completely different. But God, in chapter 1 of Joshua, encourages him several times with these words. In Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Have I not asked you to do this, Joshua? He says, therefore, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor dismayed. For the Lord your God is what? With you. The Lord your God is with you. Don't be afraid. And I am with you wherever you go. David came to this same conclusion in Psalm 37, 28. As he wrote, For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. Don't be afraid. Go forward. I am with you. I know you. And I would encourage you to go back and look at the beginning of Joshua, the book of Joshua, and how often God had to say that to Joshua, and how often I believe that you and I need to hear it. I believe that there are a lot of Christians operating within their Christian life today from a position of fear. And that fear can be overwhelming at times. And that fear can be attached to many different things and why they are fearful. But one of the things that fear will always accomplish in the life of the believer is to erode their faith. That's why I love when I see people in our church wearing those shirts that says faith over fear. Because fear is a reality to each and every one of us. It was a reality to God's people. It was a reality to Joshua. It was a reality to Paul the Apostle when he came to the city of Corinth. And out of nowhere, it appears that Jesus spoke to Paul and says, do not be afraid. We had no indication that he was even afraid. But you know what? God knew. God saw his heart. God saw his mind. And there are times that we may not know that you are afraid, but God seeing you as you are, your mind and your heart knows that you're afraid. And today, this is what he would say to you. Be strong and of good courage and do not be afraid nor dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The five things that can encourage us to remind us that God is with us that we find in our text this morning. But now we come, returning to our text, to the land of Canaan. For the boys finally return home. And Jacob is about to hear the news of his son Joseph. Verse 25. And then they went up out of the land of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. One of the boys undoubtedly ran to get the defibrillator found in the tent. Jacob having a heart attack at the realization that Joseph was alive, but not only was he alive, he also was the ruler there in Egypt. But notice why Jacob's heart stood still. The text tells us, because he did not believe. Today I encourage you to simply embrace 
the fact that God is with you. Looking for these five things that we have demonstrated through our text this morning to assure you of that fact. Because it will be unbelief that will keep you from propelling forward in faith and cause you to drown in the quicksand of fear. You and I must realize that no matter what we're experiencing, no matter what we are going through, that God is with us and He will never leave us nor forsake us. Jacob finally came around in verse 27. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, the testimonies and all that God has done, and when he saw the carts which Joseph has sent, notice, the testimonies reassured Jacob. The provision reassured Jacob. And with Joseph had sent carrying him, uh, the spirit of Jacob, the father, was revived. Then Israel, that is Jacob, said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. What Jacob was saying is that this demonstrates the truth that Jacob, I'm sorry, Joseph is alive. What more does God need to do to demonstrate to us that he is with us today? So as he said, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go.